This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Overdue, it's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And for this adventure, I would like to choose the class Alchemist. What uh, are my powers, Andrew? Well, you can turn into wind, so that's okay. cool. Cool. Uh, you're very good at like reading omens. Mm. Um, and you just like can put people to sleep when you talk about the nature of the universe for <laughs> hours and hours. All right, I'm gonna roll. So those are your three big hit. ones. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds good. Welcome to our book podcast, where this week we are each going to be playing alchemists. Uh, each week, one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. Andrew. Yes. Craig? Before you tell me about The Alchemist, I do want people at home to know that on July 14th, we are going to be celebrating our 600th episode Mm -hmm. live on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And by celebrating it, we're going to be recording it. Yeah, we're going to be... (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do a 600th episode. And in that way, we will celebrate... The 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 being of the seven hundredth episode. The seventh hundred. The six hundredth. The six. Well, oh my God, I'm so tired. <laughs> uh, so yes, uh, July fourteenth, eight fifteen p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Eastern Daylight Time doesn't matter. Bit bit.ly slash overdue six hundred. It'll be like our bonus streams for patrons, but for everyone to celebrate six hundred. Mm-hmm. And the book we're reading is Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief. It's the first book in the Percy Jackson series. Yeah. So yeah, got get that get that lightning. Take it. It's yeah. mine. It's mine and now. I, I don't think we're gonna take that archive down. So like, if you're listening to this after July 14th, and you want to watch that video, I think it'll still be there. Right. So go hang out with us. Yeah. Um, we'd love to see you. Anyway, Andrew. Enough about that garbage. Enough about Tell a book about... that we're reading in a couple weeks. We're going to talk about the book we read this week. Yes. Which now, is... you had not heard about this book I didn't know anything about it. I just threw it on my list of, I read the, which is, I read The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. I didn't know anything about it. I just put it on a list because some somebody liked it or somebody thought it was notable. It's a book that came out in 1988 originally. Mm-hmm. Um and it starts off seeming kind of like a like a little adventure story, but by the end, like you know how Chronicles of Narnia, and this is this is a loose comparison because I sure. think Narnia holds up better as a <laughs> narrative unit than this does. Sure, um, you know how it's kind of like a big biblical allegory. A lot of it. yeah, yeah. This is this book is like what if somebody did that treatment, like young adult or kids fantasy. 
but the the allegorical like source text was the secret and not the, the yes. Christian Bible. <laughs> uh huh. Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I had heard of this book. I remember it being on shelves in the early aughts in like bookstores when I would spend countless hours roaming the mall mm-hmm. as a kid, as yes, a teen, as you would do on getting off work from the Cold Stone Factory. Yep. Yes, trying to work out your ice cream lung from being down in the cold stone mines for hours. Who's that kid just wafted into the Walden books smelling like waffles? There are much, much worse like food service jobs you could smell like. I know. When Suzanne worked at a bank, she knew when the person was bringing the money in from the subway because all the money still smelled like had that oniony subway smell. (laughs) I just can't even imagine. Uh, and I just, it was on shelves everywhere. At that point, it was like 10 to 15 years old. It had probably been through an anniversary printing. Yeah. I used to see it alongside the seven people you'd meet in heaven. It had that kind of like uh, chicken soup for the soul, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. but a novel uh-huh. is kind of the energy I got from Kind it. of. <laughs> the foreword by Quelio says, uh, it's talking about... Uh, the book's word of mouth success. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's like selling uh, gradually like a few thousand copies throughout the year. And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, Bill Clinton was photographed leaving the White House with a copy. Then Madonna raved about the book to Vanity Fair and people from different walks of life from Rush Limbaugh and Will Smith to college students and soccer moms were suddenly talking about it. Yeah. I just like to think of humanity as a sp- Spectrum that runs from Will Smith to Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> yeah, there's a 1999 New York Times Arts Abroad profile. The uh, title is Brazil Wizard Makes Books Disappear from Stores. <laughs> That's so stupid. Um, he was visiting Spain last summer when a reporter back home in Brazil called him with a piece of news that made it clear to him that the audience for his books no longer knows any bounds. The president of the United States had just been photographed reading The Alchemist, the best known of Mr. Coelho's slender fables of spiritual growth and fulfillment. Granted, something in Mr. Coelho's deceptively spare and direct style must appeal to world leaders, since Jacques Chirac of France has just named him a Knight of the Legion of Honor, and Boris Yeltsin and Shimon Peres are also admirers. But over the last five years, Mr. Coelho's ability to speak to ordinary readers has made him a global publishing phenomenon. Here's why I think presidents read your book is 200 pages and it makes you feel good about being special. That is my <laughs> understanding of this book. And I don't want to like dunk too hard early. No, it is never. a book that has meant a lot to a lot of people. It does seem to be a bit tautological in its importance. It did like hit like it's this. This is the week before a week long vacation <laughs> for both of us. Yeah. And I think both of us and many of our close friends, especially the ones who are going on this vacation with us, are just being tested this week. Yeah. Because we are all on a journey to fulfill our personal legend, which is to go to the <laughs> beach for a week. And we are just being faced with all the all this adversity and we just yes. need to read the omens. We need to we need to push on through. This book, like it's I, knowing nothing about it going in, the first ten pages were like, it's like the first like ten percent of it, ten or fifteen percent was like, okay, here's like a little adventure book, and it's just kind of a guy, you know, like a boy, a, a kid making 
observations about the universe as he sort of goes mm-hmm. through it. And it's like, you know, it's sort of uh, profound in that way that some of these tautological things can sound profound the first time you hear them. Um, sure. Let's, let me find a, just a couple of quotes. Sure. Um, just uh, talking about uh, so, uh, somebody is talking to the boy who I think his name is, I think is Santiago, even though he is yes, referred Santiago. to almost exclusively as the the boy in the <laughs> sure. book. Yeah. Uh, a king fi- comes and finds, he's a, he's a young shepherd boy in Andalusia. He okay. is, she is shepherding. He's herding sheep. He's doing the thing <laughs> that he does. Um, and a king from Salem comes in and is talking to him. And he's like, why would a king be talking with a shepherd? The boy asked, awed and embarrassed, for several reasons. But let's say that the most important is that you have succeeded in discovering your personal legend. That's personal legend with a PL, capital yep. PL. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, the boy didn't know what a person what a person's personal legend was. It's what you've always wanted to accomplish. Everyone, when they are young, knows what their personal legend is. At that point in their lives, everything is clear and everything is possible. They are not afraid to dream and to yearn for everything they would like to see happen to them in their lives. But and then talks about you know time passes and people like become boring old bakers and they forget their personal <laughs> legends. And so, you know this is there, there's something to the you know yep. the the wide open possibility of youth that is you know this the story could be tapping into but then by the end i just my eyes were slipping and sliding over long long paragraphs of like brain mush that's like, mm. uh, no matter what he does every person on earth plays a central role in the history of the world and normally he doesn't know it the boy smiled he had never imagined that questions about life would be of such importance to a shepherd and it just goes. <laughs> no matter what I do, I always end up playing a shepherd. I know the soul of the world because we have talked at great length to each other during this endless trip through the universe. It tells me that its greatest problem is that up to now, only the minerals and vegetables understand that all things are one. That there is no need for iron to be the same as copper, or copper the same as gold. Each performs its own exact function as a unique being, and everything would be a symphony of peace if the hand that wrote all this had, if the hand that wrote all this had stopped on the fifth day of creation. It's just the point of the book, I guess, is that every everything is Connected. one, and you gotta like yeah. listen, follow the omens, and listen to your heart. Yeah, but and it just like, like goes hearts. on and on and on. Yes, yeah, just like Kingdom Hearts, it goes on and on and on like that until you are kind of pummeled into submission. By sure, <laughs> and that was my experience of reading this book. Well, we'll talk about it more specifically than that. We will yes. later in the episode. God, but I, if we have, I, I'm <laughs> fascinated. By your, I honestly, I just want to know what's in this book because, like, I, I will talk about some of the the context for it now, and I've just like, I get, I've known what the response to this book is, but I don't actually know what's inside of it. So, my friend Paolo, born 1947, born in Rio de Janeiro, wanted to be a writer. I think his dad was an engineer, uh, and maybe his parents wanted him to be either an engineer or a lawyer. And he was like, no, I want to be an artiste. And it was... That's his personal legend. Well, his personal legend was that he wanted to be a writer. He said that in many interviews. Yeah. And he was A writer's committed. a kind of artiste. He was committed to an institution several times by his parents because they did not want him to be a writer. They tried bribing him, cutting off all his money, having a psychiatrist evaluate him, and then ultimately committing him. He escaped three times. Yeah, that, no, that does suck. 
he speaks about it with a level of grace for his parents where he's like, listen, Brazil was not uh, always a safe place for, you know, dreamers and artists and things like that at that time. Uh, later on in the 70s, he says he was arrested by the military government and tortured. Um, so he thinks that they were trying to keep him safe and, and successful and healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so he gets out of the institution. He's like, okay, I'll go to college and I'll be a lawyer. And he drops out after one year and travels around. It's the 60s. Uh, he gets really into you know experimenting with drugs and black magic. <laughs> Wait, what? I don't I know, know what more drugs are. Can you tell me what black magic? I can't is? tell you much. I the name Alistair Crowley showed up in at least oh. one profile. Like okay. he was into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he does like come back to Brazil. He starts working as a songwriter and lyricist. One of the most successful guys he wrote for was this guy named Raul Seixas. I listened to some of his music. It was like if Bob Dylan was Brazilian and wanted to party. Like, I'm sure there's a different <laughs> comparison that I had that I could have, but, you know, uh, I listened to some of the album Krieg Ha Bandolo, which was Seixas' mm-hmm. first album. Um, it, was, it was a fun time. Uh, it was very successful, and uh, Coelho wrote a few of the songs on that record um, and helped like publicize it. Based on this success, he would go on to become an executive at CBS Records in Brazil, um, made a bunch of money, but then was fired in a mass layoff. Um, So he used all that money to go traveling in Europe and other places, um, would go on to work as an actor and a journalist. And then he starts writing seriously in the early 80s. His first book is called The Hell Archives. I'm pretty sure. So is that, that sounds different from this. It does. I don't really know what it's about. That book sounds great. That book sounds like a, it's about librarians working in hell. Yeah. He also wrote something called the practical manual of vampirism, um, which he later tried to take off the shelves because he considered it bad. Um, And then he went on like a pilgrimage in Spain and wrote a book called, you guessed it, the pilgrimage. Um, which was a little autobiographical and probably started to to get into some of the themes that would happen in in this book. And then he wasn't sure what to write next, wasn't sure if he could write another book. And legend, his personal legend has it that he saw a white feather and said, aha, I will start my book today. Mm -hmm. And so throughout the rest of his life, and then he went on to write The Alchemist in two weeks. So... For the rest of his life, he does not start a book until he sees, unless he sees a white feather. It, mm, that, mm, yeah, and mm, then he starts the book, yeah. and then he, you know moves on. Okay, sure. Um, here's, the th- here's the thing about how you feel about omens, just like writ large. I don't really ascribe to them, though. I still have what, like a, what don't I, you ascribe to do you not subscribe to them oh i don't subscribe to them excuse mm-hmm. me i don't ascribe could you ascribe to my to you, it sounds like a five-year-old <laughs> being like could you ascribe to my substack <laughs> my substack <laughs> um i i don't think i truck with them but i don't i still get like a i have a knee-jerk reaction to like a black cat like crossing the street kind of thing 
Hmm. You know. Okay. Just, it's just a powerful image that's been, you know, drilled into my brain. Like some of the, some of the some of the bad ones do stuff to your brain. I don't know that I have like good omens. Like if oh if something like happens, I'm like going to be a good day. Do you have omens? I don't like. I know of some. There was, you know, that one where you see a flock of birds and it's like money before the week's out. I don't know that one. That's one that my mom would always say. <laughs> she would see the flock of birds and say money before the week's out. I mean, I um, guess like a heads up penny is a, is like a good omen. Sure, but like if you're talking about what Paolo is talking about, yeah. where he won't start writing a book until he sees a white feather. I feel like sometimes when you are not with like these broader like we're we're both talking about ones that are at least at least in some context like broader and more like culturally sure. understood like widely yeah, as yeah. as like yeah idioms or metaphors or whatever you want to call them but for ones where like i don't know you you'd find a white a t-shirt on the ground and that means that you should make a good dinner tonight like <laughs> when you were swinging from vine to vine like that and kind of doing free associating with like th- things that you find or stuff that happens to you and omens i feel like sometimes you are uh-huh. making yes. a, an excuse for or manifesting something yes. that you wanted to do anyway. And so yeah. like, I'm sh- like, mm-hmm. is Paolo going out of his way to find like white feathers or notice white feathers when he's just like out walking around? I don't know. But like, if he's starts to feel like in the back of his mind, he wants to write a book and he's like, well, I got to wait for the omen. Of course he's going to be, he's going to have his head on a swivel for that feather. <laughs> just I waiting to this, find one. Yes. I feel there's a resonance here with like, um, a lot of athletes are very superstitious. A lot of performers are very superstitious. And some of that is it's self-fulfilling where like it's not that it is actually creating energy in the universe that's going to make you perform extra good. But now you've set up in your brain and in your body that those things need to be so so that you are comfortable and so that you feel prepared for whatever you know your vocation is. Um and that that seems similar here where, yeah, I think it is like, listen, I it did not take me long to find a medium post where someone was like, have you heard about this guy, Paolo Coelho, and mm-hmm. how he only writes a book when he sees a white feather and how it means when you see a white feather in your life, whatever that thing is, you should go for it. Mm-hmm. Like there, this book and the ensuing ecosystem around it is just about seizing your dreams and finding symbols that spur you on to seize your dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm interested to learn about what an alchemist is. Anyway, he sold this book to a small publishing house in Brazil. Uh, it did not sell particularly well. And then they gave him back the rights. Yeah, he says and, in his foreword that some guy, one person bought it. And then a couple months later... It sold a second copy to the same guy, and like that, it is possible that that is a exaggeration for a dramatic or comedic effect. Yep. But it does not sound like it sold great. <laughs> so he spent forty days in the Mojave Desert with his wife, thinking about it, and he said, "You know what? I'm going to start knocking doors and showing this book around." Andrew, I'd like to transition to an interview. Who do you think has interviewed this man based on the book? Oprah. 
Yeah. All right. <laughs> Big Oprah energy, this book. Um, probably also maybe how I heard about it. There's a lot of Oprah on in my house in the 90s. Um, and he told Oprah, I started knocking on doors, and Oprah, believe me when I tell you that the first door I knocked on, <laughs> it was a very important publishing house in Brazil. A man opened and said, and I said, I have a book. It's not the manuscript of a genius, but I trust that it is going to sell. And the guy said, okay, I'm going to publish it. Three years later, when the book had sold half a million copies in Brazil, I asked him why he'd republished a book that had already flopped once, and he said, I don't know. That sounds unbelievable, Oprah said, like fate. <sighs> Absolutely, said Paolo, yeah, which I believe in. Fate. Destiny. That's what it is. Destiny. It's not that he put in work and got his book published uh-huh. again. It's just it's just blind blind fate. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, he's we also- talked about this a little bit in our secret episode, too, where yeah. I think like perhaps we maybe a little tiny bit let Oprah off the hook for some of the things that she's allowed to pervade the culture. Yeah, but we definitely, the yeah. point that we made was that Oprah, uh, have like ascribing things to omens and, and like, and good luck and just like things being what they are meant to be does downplay in a weird way, like mm-hmm. the effort that she did put into correct to make her empire what it was. And so that always, yeah, it always feels very and I think unsatisfying to me when people are successful because they went and they like did stuff to ensure they would be <laughs> successful. And then they get on Oprah and, and they're like, you know, Oprah, Oprah, my good friend who I'm on a first name basis with now, I guess <laughs> this was just meant to, this just happened randomly. It was meant to be. So and if you didn't if you didn't succeed, it must just be because it's not meant to be. <laughs> a man you mentioned earlier, um, Willard Smith, Will Smith, uh, he owns the film rights to this book. <laughs> they at one point Lawrence Fishburne and Rush Limbaugh own like the radio play rights. Like why? <laughs> at one point, um, Lawrence Fishburne was going to make a film out, out of it. Didn't didn't come together. Um, Will Smith has the film rights now. Um, he said in an interview in 2009, it's real metaphysical, esoteric nonsense, but I feel very strongly that we are who we choose to be. Sure. I mean, we are, I guess. In, yes. Right? Uh-huh. Uh. And the, I think one of the, so one of the reasons this book has been so successful is not just because it's kind of straightforward prose and mashup of kind of self-help philosophy and uh, parable-esque story. It's also that this guy worked very hard to get it it translated into a bunch of languages. And part of that, he credits HarperCollins getting it published in English because then you can get it read by editors in other languages that aren't going to necessarily read a Brazilian novel. Right. Um, He talks about all the time he has spent going to, like, Slovenia... And other, you know, countries, all Lithuania, countries all over the world that you wouldn't necessarily think a Brazilian author is going to have an audience, at least from his perspective. Uh, and all the t- again, all the work he put in to making sure that everybody had it available. And, Andrew, you can find a blog post on his website about this or on his paulocoelioblog.com is what the website <laughs> title says. Um, he would share links to pirated versions of his books, specifically The Alchemist and, and some of his other popular books, um, because he was of the opinion that, like, you know, if more people are reading it, that's probably going to turn into more sales. And I, There was at least one interview where he acknowledged that that works because he's very successful. 
Uh, it sure. wouldn't necessarily work for somebody at the like you know much lower on the on the ladder. Yeah, right. <laughs> but he he was not gonna pull the equivalent of like a Metallica Napster situation. Like he saw the free distribution of his work as a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Though I mean, would... by that point, it had long since already succeeded. So exactly fine, but it helped it get into other countries and things like that. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it holds it par- at least at one point held the record um, for a book that's been translated in the most amount of languages by a living author. Okay, um, I looked up so, the. Uh, are we not? Do we not count God? Is the uh, Bible not uh... living human author? Okay. I guess. All right, all right. Fair enough. <laughs> pretty close to blasphemy, there, my friend. <laughs> pretty close i did look up the uh translator alan r clark and the only thing i found was various listings citing him as the translator for this book okay some other works by coelho and some other uh what looks like brazilian works so um that's all i got i got some other like quotes about the book and stuff but i figure let's take a break you can tell me about the book itself Mm mm-hmm and then we can just keep talking about... About our personal legends. About our personal legends. Okay. He says personal legend in so many interviews. He says personal legend in this book so many times, Craig. <laughs> it is our personal legend to take a break. We'll be right back. All right. Andrew, it is my personal legend to become a digital legend on the internet. <laughs> But I need help. I need an. I need an omen. I mean, all here's a here's an omen. Is I'm gonna read you this uh, this ad copy by our our partners <laughs> at Squarespace. I'm always. I will never build a website until I see promising ad copy. Yeah, well, here you go. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites, so mm. you can fulfill your personal legend, whatever Ooh. it may be. As long as it does require a robust web presence. (laughs) (laughs) They give you beautiful templates, easy to use, drag and drop tools, 24-7 customer support, and all kinds of other stuff to help you make a pretty looking website to keep that pretty looking website running smoothly and to do other stuff with the people who come to see the pretty looking website. Ooh. Here's some stuff about Squarespace that uh, that we think that you're really going to like. Stand out in any inbox with Squarespace email campaigns. Collect email subscribers and convert them into loyal customers. Start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients like site colors and logo. Built-in analytics measure the impact of every cent. There's also a video studio, Craig. You know about video? You create pro-level videos effortlessly. The Squarespace Video Studio app helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story, grow your audience, and drive sales. There are powerful website analytics that give you insight in who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your content, uh, time on site, most read content, audience geography, and more, all counted by the analytics. So a bunch of people who are pursuing their own personal legends and they come to your website, you'll you'll know some stuff about them. Man, if I could make a website that attracted other people pursuing their personal legends. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, we're all one with the universe, my dude. Mm. Uh, and you also own all the content you put on the Squarespace platform, so if your personal legend ever requires you to leave for some reason, they <laughs> offer one-click data portability so you can go. 
Not that we think you're going to want to. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Andrew, I read about this book that it is similar to other folk tales of a particular type, the R. Okay. Thompson Uther type 1644. You know how people catalog folk tales by like kind of the general types of stories they are? Sure. Um, Arne Thompson Uther, I'm not pronouncing that right, 1645, uh, The Man Who Became Rich Through a Dream. Uh, about dreamers who seek treasure abroad but find it at home. And then there's some, you know, things from Thousand and One Nights and all sorts of other countries that have versions of such a tale. Yeah, there's sort of, it's, that's one of the things about the book that is, I don't know if, if I want to use the word compelling because that makes it sound like I liked it more than I did, but it, it does. That That is the juice in the book where there's juice. Something you keep coming back to is like, this is, sort of a fa- like a dreamy feeling, floaty feeling, fantastical feeling kind of fable. Yeah. Taking place in, you know, parts unknown that is like also a bunch of stuff about how you need to like you need you just need to like follow your heart and keep believing in yourself. Yeah, sure. And, and find and fulfill your personal legend. It's like it is yeah, it's the language of of the sort of weird floaty like non-specific self-help advice mixed mm-hmm. in with this other frame that has been used in other other stuff that we've okay read. yeah sure so tell me about this shepherd Santiago, the shepherd off, boy yeah on an adventure yeah he's just he's a shepherd he's pretty cool he's pretty good at sheep he listens to he listens to them and they kind of teach him things about like where not to step, and like if there's a snake around, there's just How do a they lot teach of things him? that you just by you just observe. He's a, a keen observer of the sheep. Okay, okay. He learns what the sheep are reacting to, and then he himself can can react to that. So he's a boy who is, I think, sensitive to things. He kind of can communicate with these animals without really like speaking to them. It's not a Ba Ram Yu situation. It is a. You know, he's not babe pig in the city over here. He, he's not talking to the sheep. No, 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 no. No, he, no. but he is he's intuiting. No, I've not okay. seen babe pig in the city. So I feel like probably most people do. And we make a reference that they don't understand. Is I just didn't react and kept waiting for the context clues to come. Sure. Thing, yeah, that's in. fine. Um, So he is, you know, he's doing a shepherd thing. There's like a, a, somebody who comes into town from the countryside like once a year or so who's real cute who he strikes up a conversation with and he's just thinking about her like it's about time for her to come back she's like a merchant's daughter or something i think okay and so he is uh you know going about a shepherd life waiting for this girl to come back kind of you know anticipating her return when this king well, I mean, it's not clear that he's a king. It's just some weird guy shows up and starts talking to him. <laughs> and the weird guy's like, "Oh, you're reading that book, huh? That bo- mm. <laughs> I don't, I don't know that book. That book's kind of irritating." 
What book? Let me. It's the book is not named. Let me. Um, okay, it's an irritating book. It's an irritating book that I think Santiago not like being able to read kind of, but not being like the most literate person in the whole world thought would make him look smart to the merchant's daughter. Oh, but then the guy comes along and uh, he says, "What does he say?" Hmm, said the old man, looking at all sides of the book as if it were some strange object. This is an important book, but it's really irritating. The boy was shocked. The old man knew how to read and had already read the book. And if the book was irritating, as the old man had said, the boy still had time to change it for another. (laughs) It's a book that says the same thing almost all the other books in the world say, continued the old man. It describes people's inability to choose their own personal legends. And it ends up saying that everyone believes the world's greatest lie. What's the world's greatest lie? The boy asked, completely surprised. It's this, that at a certain point in our lives, we lose control of what's happening to us and our lives become controlled by fate. That's the world's greatest lie. Fate doesn't exist. Okay. okay. But like kind of it does. (laughs) Yeah. It's. Your personal legend is something that you have to make happen. You have to make happen, but you do it mostly by just like listening and being really open to what the universe is trying to tell you. Yeah. So when when he says the world isn't controlled by fate, what I think he means is you can't just like sit back and everything that's going to happen will happen no matter what. And and it's and it also sounds like it's freeing in the sense that like. You don't have to settle for the eventual thing that might happen. You could try to make something cooler happen. I mean, if that's, what, if that's what your heart is saying. But I mean, when you find your personal legend, you're gonna be so you're gonna you're gonna feel so right about what you've what you've found that you're not gonna want to go and do something else because you you'll you will have fulfilled your personal legend. Okay. Well, this this guy sounds kooky. He's a little kooky, and so he's, like, hanging out, and then and a couple times the boy sees, like, a flash of gold, like, under his robe, and he's like, who are you? And the guy's like, I'm the king of Salem. Duh. <laughs> okay. And he convinces the boy to go, like, instead he points at a baker in the town, and he's like, look at that guy. He had, he had dreams. This, this guy dreamed big once, but now he's just a stupid, dumb idiot baker what if he's good at it and he just bakes stuff and he's like he's getting by but he's just not he didn't fulfill his personal legend and so his life is just empty in some way that i'm not going to define very (laughs) very can i does the book probably doesn't even engage with this at all what if it's your personal legend to be like a decent baker in a town where you know people and are happy and everyone knows your name he is not saying that no baker can be happy like he's not saying that it's nobody's personal legend to be a baker he's saying sure it's not it's that guy's personal legend not to be a baker it's 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 (laughs) like um when uh what is it um why do you tend to flock of sheep? Because I like to travel. The old man pointed to a baker standing in a shop window at one of the corner of the plaza. When he was a child, that man wanted to travel too, but he decided first to buy his bakery and put some money aside. When he's an old man, he's going to spend a month in Africa. He never realized that people are capable at any time of their lives of doing what they dream of. Um, he should have decided to become a shepherd, the boy said. Well, he thought about that, the old man said. But bakers are more important people than shepherds. Bakers have homes while shepherds sleep out in the open. Parents would rather see their children marry bakers than shepherds. So basically everybody who became like a banker or a stockbroker or yep. whatever because they thought that it was the most like societal, societally desirable or like yep. lucrative thing to do 
they're mostly chumps because they're not. It's it's not that you your personal legend can't be to be an awesome, cool Wolf of Wall Street stockbroker guy. Yeah, it's that most of the people who do it are doing it for the wrong reasons. This is why this book resonates with Jacques Chirac and Will Smith because it's like you went off to forge a path that like on balance not very many people in the world will get to do mm-hmm. you've made you you have made personal sacrifices to do that you've made choices to do that and this is you know you didn't have to settle for that thing you didn't want to settle for yeah it's just remember the secret how it's just like packed with these weird anic- like per- yeah anecdotes with the shading of like personal testimony or something this one lady named gail just really wanted pizza yeah or and she, then a pizza she, showed up she was just she went to the the hair salon and was really worried about getting a bad haircut and it made her haircut bad but this yeah. is more <laughs> that is that is the vibe when the boy is talking to or being talked to by sure somebody yeah, about like another person or another thing is it's just like, like look at that yabo yeah, over me, there. Let me tell you about this idiot, <laughs> this absolute dullard who became a baker. <laughs> I found who's going like, to go on a cruise ship around. Who's going to go on a cruise around Europe and never get off the boat and think that that means he's a traveler now. This this complete this complete moron. <laughs> <laughs> is there? Is there a a version of yourself, Andrew, that you can think of over your life that would have clicked with this book more than you clicked with it now? I think probably if I ran into it when I was like in high school or or um, maybe even maybe possibly early adulthood, definitely in high school. Sure. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think I, that's when. The couple of comments I saw online where people were like, this is when it clicked for me. It was, they were, you know, I, they were like, I was 20 and didn't know what I was going to do with my yeah, life. Because like or, teens and young people who, I mean, they, they think all kinds of things are profound because just by virtue of not having been exposed to as much stuff as an older person yeah. is exposed to. <laughs> and so, yeah, this, this kind of stuff, especially when so much of it is focused on, hey, you're young, like seize the day. Yes. Is yeah. kind of designed to appeal to that kind of mindset. Like, hey, I don't really know. I don't know know what I'm doing really. I'm kind of, I feel a little bit floaty. Maybe I'm pursuing some hobby or something that some authority figure in my life doesn't want me to be pursuing. And I'm looking yep. for like a a reason to feel good about it or like something to refute their concerns with. You know, that that is the, that is who I'd see sort of, most easily gravitating toward sure. this sort of stuff. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. Continue. He's talking to this crazy king who's pointing out he's people who the, settled. He's talked to the king. Um, so he had early, a little earlier in the book, he'd gone to see a, uh, let's let's call her a Romani woman. That's not what the book says she is. Okay, sure. Um, who tells him that there's some treasure waiting for him by the pyramids in Egypt. Oh, in Egypt. Uh-huh. And he's like, oh. okay, fine. I he, he lives in, in I, I said. said Andalusia, Asia, right? In southern in Spain. Southern yeah. Spain, which is close enough to Africa that I guess you can, yeah. like. Uh, Take a boat. Like Sarah Palin's house facing Russia. You can just kind of look out your window and see Africa <laughs> from where. From where. Good from reference. Where Santiago lives. <laughs> 
and so he is he is mulling this over and has he he's just thinking about it, and that's when okay. the king shows up, and the king is like, "Oh, you already know what your personal legend is. You're gonna go to the Egypt and find pyramids." And so the boy does do that. He sells most of his sheep. He gives six of them to the king guy, and he goes to Africa to make his way to the pyramids. Okay. He gets to the city. He doesn't speak the language, which is a dialect of Arabic, I think. Okay. Um, He is almost immediately robbed, but he... And he's like pretty down about that for a bit because he had this money and there's this little bit in the book that's like money is magical. And if you have money, you can do anything. <laughs> uh, uh, the sale of a sheep had left him with enough money in his pouch and the boy knew that in money there was magic. Whoever has money is never really alone. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, uh, sure. Uh, an old man with a breastplate of gold wouldn't have lied just to acquire six sheep. Yeah, I mean, the hucksters have never <laughs> have never seemed trustworthy historically, mm. so it's fine that this guy did this. Um he's been given these two like stones that like he can use, he can ask them direct questions to um to get guidance in his quest if he really needs them, but Mostly he's like, okay, I've been robbed. I'm moping around. And then he's, he looks around as he does a few times. And he just like comes to like apropos of nothing with no outside narrative pressure on him to come to this conclusion. He's like, maybe, maybe that was what was supposed to happen. Maybe that's the omen. And I just need to wander huh. around this market and, and, uh, just that, that I'm, that I'm walking around in and just, see what I'd see and see what happens. Um, he'd help say, you know, he has no money. So he wakes up, he's hungry. He was walking around the market. He helps a candy seller guy set up his booth to sell candy. And he can tell the boy can that this guy, this, this guy, not like that stupid baker back home. He is following his personal legend, which is to really walk out is, here, which is to make the best dang candy in this like North African market. Okay. <laughs> Uh, he helps him set up this booth and gets a nice piece of candy. Sure. So there's it's it's not about the occupation, it's just about whether you whether it's your personal legend to be doing that occupation or not. It sounds like he made a well you said he came to a conclusion, but like he, he kind of made the choice to view being robbed as an opportunity not yes. mm-hmm. an injustice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean okay. well then he did definitely view it as an injustice at first, but sure. But yes, he's trying to make lemons out of lemonade, I suppose. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh he walks by this uh it's a glass shop, like just a guy who sells a lot of glass. We get a little mm. bit from this guy's it's always sort of a close third person, so we get a little bit of perspective that's a little closer to this guy. He lived he's lived in this city for a long time. Business used to be hopping, but it's not anymore. And he feels just like he's getting old and that all his friends have moved away and that things aren't really going his way. The boy shows up to the crystal shop and he's like, hey, let me clean your let me clean all your glass. I uh, could use uh, and then you could buy me lunch, please, because I'm so hungry. (laughs) Oh, my God. And the guy is like, "Okay, you can. Okay, fine. And then the, the boy polishes all his glass and then all of a sudden the the glass seller already has a couple of sales because the glass in his window is all clean instead of being gross. 
And then he takes the boy to lunch. And first he's like, psych, uh, Allah dictates that if somebody asks me for lunch, I have to take them out. You didn't even have to do all the work that you just did. I was going to do it anyway. Uh, But then he says, basically, I like the cut of your jib kid. Come work for me. And the boy's like, that's not my personal legend. I have to go. I have to go to the pyramids and find the treasure. These millennials don't want to work. Nobody wants to work anymore. And he says, well, if you work, I mean, it costs a lot of money to get to the pyramids, number one. And so number two, can if you come work for me for a while, you'll get the money that you need. Yeah, you got to. And yeah. maybe times will become good for me, the old glass seller again. <laughs> so the boy works for him for like a year and comes up with all kinds of innovative sales strategies like <laughs> uh, like displaying more merchandise. <laughs> Cleaning the merchandise. And cleaning the merchandise. Okay. Um, and the you know business is hopping. He's sort of almost kind of forgotten about his personal personal oh, legend no. a little bit because he's just finding a lot of success as the the shop boy for this glass seller. Uh huh. He's got he's got enough money to go and to, to the pyramids find the treasure. He's thinking about it. Um, and he goes into his room that he's been staying in and he's he sees his old crumpled up shepherd's pouch in the corner and he picks it up and his like white and black omen stones fall out of it. Oh, God. And he's like, oh, yeah, the omens. And he thinks about the old king. And then, you know, how in like a TV show, a character will be thinking about something and then you'll hear like the echo of another character speaking to them. Speaking. In the past. Yeah. yeah. Never stop dreaming, the old king had said. Follow the omens. Uh, so he picks up the rocks and he's like, all right, it's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and then he also starts thinking about being a shepherd again uh, and, and thinks the sheep had taught him something even more important, that there was a language in the world that everyone understood, a language the boy had used throughout the time that he was trying to improve things at the shop. It was the language of enthusiasm of things accomplished what? with love and purpose. And as part of a search for something believed in and desired, uh, Tangier was no longer a strange city. And he felt that just as he had conquered the, this place, he would conquer the world. When you want something, all the universe conspires to help you achieve it, the old king had said. That's the the quote that I found. But the old king hadn't said anything about being robbed or about endless deserts, about people who know what their dreams are but don't want to realize them. The old king hadn't told him that the pyramids were just a pile of stones or that anyone could build one in his backyard. These are things that the merchant said to him. (laughs) And he forgot to mention that when you have enough money to buy a flock larger than the one you had before, you should buy it. Um... (laughs) <laughs> but no, he's just got he's just got to stay true. He's think he's thinking about going back and being a shepherd for a little bit, and then he's okay. like, "Well, you know, do I want to be like this loser merchant who is not going to go to Mecca like you wanted to, and is just going to like sell glass and like do fine, or do I want to?" You know, I can always go back to being a shepherd. I don't have to go back to being a shepherd. I'm gonna fallback go, plan. Yes. Yeah, I'm gonna keep. That's my safety. I'm that's gonna my safety school. Keep, I'm gonna keep my safety school a shepherd. My <laughs> reach school is going to the pyramids to find this treasure that a strange man told me that I could get if I gave him some of my sheep. Okay, so he's going to the pyramids. The hills of Andalusia were only two hours away, but there was an entire desert between him and the pyramids. Yet the boy felt that there was another way to regard his situation. He was actually two hours closer to his treasure. 
Yes! <laughs> the fact yes! that the two hours it stretched into an entire year didn't matter. Yes! <laughs> so how's he going to get to the pyramids? Uh, he's going to, he joins up with this big old group, just a caravan of people going across the desert because you don't want to go alone. No. You got you to gotta go with, with other people. Um, he finds in this group a couple of other people who kind of understand this thing that he's starting to realize about the unspoken language of all things. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's like an Englishman who's always reading all the time, and there's like a camel driver who he befriends. Um, so they go through the desert. There's uh, wars starting between like rival tribes that are living out here. Um, and so they're like traveling more and more carefully. The boys looking around and observing things about the desert. And I did kind of like some of this stuff. Like occasionally uh, Paolo will uh, hit on something that is that just you can. What's how I want to put this? It's just a, it's a nice turn of phrase that makes you that evokes mm. a, an image, which is what book people are trying to do when they write books. <laughs> Uh, I've crossed these sands many times, said one of the camel drivers one night, but the desert is so huge and the horizon so distant that they make a person feel small and as if he should remain silent. This is about why people are not talking so much in the woods or not the sure. woods, the desert now that they've left because everybody was jib jabbing when they were, you know, it's like 200 <laughs> people. They were all jib jabbing when they were getting ready to go. And now that they're on the road, everyone's just like, hey, yeah, the boy understood going. intuitively what he meant, even without ever having set foot in the desert before. Whenever he saw the sea or a fire, he fell silent, impressed by their elemental force. Okay. I've learned things from the sheep. I've learned things from crystal. He thought I can learn something from the desert, too. It seems old and wise. Yeah, this boy seems all right, actually. He's like, fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so. And this is this is making me think about um, Robert Langdon. It is it is never very interesting to me to read about a person just thinking until they have like changed their mind or like come to an epiphany about something. It you is, want them like to if like you're, if you're drive reading, a bus if, and get in a fight. Not those exact things, but those are some examples of narrative events that can. Yeah. Leave an imprint on a person. Sure, sure. Um, but this one's mostly just about like, oh, he looks at something and he's like, you know what? This is this is all part of my personal legend, baby. Yeah. Does he make <laughs> it to the pyramids? You're getting you're getting ahead. You're getting oh, way. sorry. You got but you got to slow your roll. Whoa, jabroni. <laughs> um, they cross the desert, not not without coming within sight of some of the people who are fighting, but they make it to the oasis. There's this agreement between all sides that oases are sacred. You know, both sides have oasises. They're valuable resources. So you just like, as a matter of honor, you do not attack the oasis. Yeah, sure. Um, the, so the Englishman that the boy has been talking to, he is on this trip to find an alchemist. Um, and you know, an alchemist does one of the things an alchemist does in this book is like the classic alchemist thing, which is turning metal into gold. Yeah. The, the line of reasoning in this book going that you take some material and you keep boiling undesirable elements out of it until what you have left is only the like most desirable. Sure. Lucrative stuff. I'm not sure if you 
have made a study of alchemy at any point or if you know like what the actual like theory of it is but that that's the explanation given in this book the, the i have not yeah. i've uh am only an alchemist for the hour that we are recording yes um, right but well, we changed it, our our thoughts about books into an hour of audio <laughs> yeah transmutation baby mm-hmm. sounds this sounds reasonable to me i don't you know no notes um and so, yeah, like he talks to the boy and the, the, he lets the boy read some of his books and he tells the boy about this little emerald that like the secrets of alchemy are written on. And it, yes, he's like, perfect. The boy is like, if all the secrets of alchemy can fit on a little emerald, then why do we need all these books? And the Englishman's like, well, so we can understand what it says on the emeralds. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> So they make it to the oasis. The 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 boy and the Englishman find the alchemist. The boy also finds a young woman named Fatima who they fall in love. Hmm. Um, the alchemist looks at the Englishman and is like, "You're doing fine, but you gotta go. Just like go work, go work on your alchemy a bit. I'm not ready to like talk to you." Oh wow! But the boy is looking up at the sky one day and he sees two hawks doing something and he intuits because of his knowledge of the unspoken language of the universe that it means that some band of 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 uh, armed men is going to come and attack the oasis the next day. Whoa. And so he goes to the people who run the oasis and he's like, yo, I saw these hawks. It's an omen. And they're like, yeah, we know about omens. Um <laughs> So we are going to tell everybody in the Oasis to take up arms, even though they're not allowed to do that. Yeah. And if we get attacked tomorrow, every, you know, every enemy that we kill, you get a gold piece. But if nobody has to use their arms to kill any invaders, somebody's going to use one of their arms on you. (laughs) So basically if you are right, you get gold. If you're wrong, we're going to kill you. <laughs> oh, no. Because you're breaking like this this long-standing compact now between we have the people to, yeah, who live okay. out here about the oases. Um, and so they are, they are attacked. And mm. the guys who the boy went to are like, man, you're pretty cool. You're the counselor of the oasis now, okay? And this is the, <laughs> the boy is tested yet again. He just – he can't walk out of his – tent without being offered a lucrative job and like a stable home life. (laughs) And the alchemist appears to him. He's been kind of watching him from afar and he's like, Hey, who did you interpret that omen? And the boy was like, well, yeah. And the alchemist is like, who learned you, who learned you how to do that? (laughs) And he and the boy have a conversation and the alchemist comes away satisfied that the boy is on the right track about understanding the unspoken language of the universe and being, and being on the right track to fulfill his personal legend, which is the literally the most important thing that anybody can do. And I don't know. Why would you be a baker? You (laughs) idiot. Um, and so the, the boy is, you know, he's feeling very attached to Fatima, who, who also loves him. He's got this cool job lined up. And the alchemist is like, you know what's going to happen is if you stay here 
it's going to be really awesome for like three or four years. And then the omens are going to give up on you because you're not listening to them. And then you'll never fulfill your personal legend. Oh no. Uh huh. And so the boy, even though he's sad, leaves the oasis with the alchemist to go find the pyramids. Okay. Um, and they have some more like misadventures. <laughs> the wildest part of the book and like the linchpin of it, I think of it, like his personal journey is, you know, he is, he has left the alchemist or, or he is still with the alchemist. They are set upon by this, like these guys who want to kill them. And they say, okay, if you can like, talk to the wind or make the wind do something will let you live. And so the boy using the unspoken language of the universe goes and talks to like the wind and the sun and the sand and like whips up a big windstorm. Yeah. So he's a wizard. <laughs> yeah, I guess I thought this was just about like not taking a job that you didn't want to take, but <laughs> it's taken it's kind of, it takes kind of a mystical turn here. Yeah. I'm reading wizard Mercy for next week. And like, this just sounds like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, the, the conversation between him and these elements is like, not as cool as talking to the sun sounds like it would be just to, mm. <laughs> to, to describe it. It's him and each of these elements having another one of these long, secrety conversations about like the secrets of the universe from where I am. The sun said, I can see the soul of the world that communicates with my soul. And together we cause the plants to grow and the sheep to seek out shade from where I am. And I'm a long way from the earth. I learned how to love. I know that if I came even a little bit closer to the earth, everything there would die and the soul of the world would no longer exist. So we contemplate each other and we want each other and I give it life and warmth and it gives me my reason for living. Um, so you just like him, the the son and the boy, just like chatting each other, discovering that they both know the secret of the world and all about uh, personal legends. And <laughs> this hmm. is why alchemy exists, the boy said, so that everyone will search for his treasure, find it, and then want to be better than he was in his former life. Lead will play its role until the world has no further need for lead, and then lead will have to turn itself into gold. <laughs> That's what alchemists do. They show that when we strive to become better than we are, everything around us becomes better, too. Um, so that's why it's called the alchemist. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's all about turning the lead of your life into gold. Yeah, and the, like the lead of the world. Well, so not that lead is undesirable, but that well, lead you, has its own personal. Lead has, lead has its own purpose, and you use lead until you don't need lead anymore, and then you got to gold, baby. Yeah, you go up the tech tree. Yeah. Then you got to gold, baby. Uh huh. Um, and. The boy reached through to the soul of the world and saw that it was part of the soul of God. And he saw that the soul of God was his own soul and that he, a boy, could perform miracles. And then he makes a windstorm. <laughs> yeah. So um, he's like, so every, every everything Quilio is one. was raised Catholic and also got into black magic. So this all is, tracks. Everything is one. One is everything. Yeah. I'm a boy. I'm also God. God is me. <laughs> I'm God. And I can make a windstorm. So he does. Okay. Yeah, sure. So after he gets out of that predicament, he and the alchemist part ways. He finally makes it to the pyramids. Some omen at some point told him when something moves you to tears, like start digging, (laughs) which is like, usually I feel like omens are a little more vague and like metaphorical than that. But this one is using a jackhammer in my kitchen next to some onions. I was supposed to dig next to the onions. (laughs) 
and some more guys come up on him and like beat him up because they're like, "What? Why are you? Why are you digging this hole? Are you looking <laughs> for money boy, or something? Get him. Tell me about the money that you have in this hole." And he can't. He keeps digging. He finds like a little bit of enough treasure to like pique these guys' interest, but like not enough to satisfy them. Mm. And he says, you know, I'm lo- I'm just looking for treasure. And they're like, this boy doesn't have anything here. He's just here digging around in the dirt looking for treasure. This is like the time that some guy told me about some tree in Andalusia where if you dug under it, you would find a bunch of treasure. This is stupid. I'm going to go. And so this, this, Craig, this was oh. the treasure. Is he was going to the pyramids so they could be beat up by this guy so that the guy could make this exact off off <laughs> offhanded comment about a treasure chest that was like buried under a tree that the boy hung out by all the time. <laughs> but now he understands more about the, like the secret of the universe and stuff. And he's got, then like Fatima's going to be, he's going to be with her and it's going to be great. And that's the end. So he, he goes he, and he goes and he finds the treasure and it's like, and it's real treasure. It's real. It's real literal treasure. It's not. It's not like the friends he made along the way or something. But like he finds a, he finds like a, a box full of treasure because he's money, more, If you have money, you're never alone, Craig. Yes, well, that's true. But now he, you know, he's God. Now he has more powers. He's level twenty five or whatever, and so he can appreciate the treasure back home better than he could have if he had just found it in the first place. Yeah. Okay. But also, it's interesting. And this happened. This is. Sort of true of the of the secret in many self help books is they're like you know this is a, this is a way to expand your your mind and to become a better person and a better like more positive version of yourself and if you do this the rewards are cold hard cash. <laughs> You're totally right. You're to- so wait, what was his personal destiny? His personal journey was to find the treasure. To go to the pyramids and find the treasure. His personal legend, excuse me. His personal me, legend was to go to the pyramids and find the treasure. To then go home and find the treasure and be just a rich guy? I don't like his he... personal legend was just to go to the pyramids and find the treasure. And he's seen like otherwise he's like got sales experience. He's a shepherd. He knows about alchemy. Like I feel it seems like he's gonna be fine. He's got like a hot wife. It seems huh. like he's going to be okay, but his personal legend was to go to the pyramids and find the treasure, and then also he did find some stuff along the way, but also he did find a box full of like actual treasure. That's so silly. Yeah. So that's that's the alchemist. Cut to the three star Goodreads reviews. Three star Goodreads reviews. Wait, Jessica. Oh no, I hung my guitar on the wall. Never mind. Sorry. I'm not going to get up. Jessica didn't love the tone of the book. Didn't love the like the kind of parable allegory yeah. mm-hmm. elements thought the characters were kind of flat super super flat like anyways i liked the idea i personally try to live my life by many of the lessons and teachings in this book i believe it's important for one to follow their dreams to always listen to their heart and to never give up on something that they are passionate about but i think the effectiveness of those messages was lost in this story do you think that do you were they lost in the story or were they the only thing that was there and there wasn't enough story I th- I think it's the, I think those those things can both be true. Sure. Like like by being pretty flat and there is it's so weird because there is conflict, but the boy just like glides above it all. So mm. like sort of serenely and effortlessly most sure. of the time. Yeah. That you don't really have you don't really 
uh, form any kind of bond with with him as a as a protagonist, and that makes what happens to him and the realizations that he has feel less profound. I guess. Oh, sure. Okay. Or just like yeah. feel less interesting. Not not as earned by the narrative itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Lynn said. Is it moving? Is it bad? Is it satire? That's me summarizing Lynn's <laughs> points. Uh, I will say that this could go either way. I can absolutely see where someone could find hidden treasure and deep and deeply meaningful messages in the short novel, and I can see someone rolling their eyes and sticking their finger down their throat in a gag gesture. I'll cast a Cheshire Cat smirk and like uh, and like for another reason, which I think Lynn thinks that maybe this is like satiric like kind of subverting and critiquing kind of stories like this and let me tell you i watched interviews with this guy that is not the case yeah, Lynn. No, i read this i read his, in the tank i read his prologue and he is like i read my own book and i think it's awesome <laughs> and i learn i learn the lessons anew every time i reread it well and that's like if you talk to a writer it's like listening to your own voice on a like on a, on a voicemail, you're like I sound like that. I cannot. My skin is crawling. I cannot possibly no. keep <laughs> listening. Well, to this, this book is his secret, though. Like that's the weird. It's like he he can point to this book as like the theory works. Sure, I guess. Which is frustrating because we all don't. We all didn't write the Alchemist. Um, from Kirk's reviews, which was How not many, a. Does it have stars? No stars. Okay. Sorry. I think I had a song for this, but I'm not going to do it. Again. Okay. Um, this is towards the end of the review. A message clings like I- ivy to every encounter. Everyone has to put in their two cents worth from the crystal merchant to the camel driver. The absence of characterization and overall blandness suggest authorship by a committee of self-improvement pundit. <laughs> a far cry from St. Exupery's The Little Prince. That flagship of the genre was a genuine charmer because it clearly derived from a quirky individual sensibility. That The second I heard Little Prince invoked... It felt like a good comp of sure. like yeah. little boy goes on an adventure, he's pure of heart, and he encounters people who have like a bunch of things about the world to teach him. But it sounds like most of what the people in the Alchemist have to teach him are about the universal language of the universe and the secret language of the universe and a bunch of like, you know, greeting card maxims. <laughs> yeah. Yes, right. <laughs> Okay. Um, there's no there's no camel driver who comes up to him and says live laugh love, but that is kind of the <laughs> impression sometimes. So, and then I found a thread on r slash books um, where called "Why do people praise the alchemist so much?" It's a book about finding yourself and how the answer is always inside. People like the book. Why is it so amazing? I found other articles where it was like ten facts about why the alchemist is cool, and like the, one of the facts was it's a very popular book that's very important to a lot of people. <laughs> and like that's what I mean when the book's like importance is a little tautological. Yeah, the book is important like, because it's important. Yeah. Um, so one person said. Um, I think it's for people who don't know what to do or where to go. I assume it's for people like me in my 20s who worry where we'll be in our futures. There's comfort in a story where as long as you work hard in something, you'll not just find yourself. You'll find your place in life where you belong, even in places you least expect. Our first plans might not work out. We'll mostly not end up where we wanted to be, but there are plenty of other places in the world where we'll be happy. That seems like a fine sentiment. If that's what you get from the book, great. One person said, because it's short, easy to read, and not completely terrible, which means a lot of people who don't usually read that much will be tempted to have a go at it, not drop it after a couple of pages, and then they'll go talk about the book. So, like, that's, it's accessible, 
which is I think some people have knocked his writing for being a little like kind of straightforward and overly maximy and things like that. I, I, like I brought up Narnia and it's because I feel like that's kind of the reading level we're talking about. Sure. Yeah. But not to, you know, that just is the reading. No, level it's just like, it's just yeah. like not very, um, lexically complex. Sure. Shall we say? Uh, and the number one comment on this thread that I saw, uh, Aka Aka said, why are Instagram inspirational quotes so popular? <laughs> That's the response to why do people praise the alchemist so much? <laughs> why are minions quotes so popular? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a it's a book that got popular for reasons that stuff like The Secret got popular. Mm-hmm. And now if I think one of the reasons you might read it now is cuz it's like, oh, there's that popular book that a bunch of people said was important to them. I should go check it out. I feel and like probably Bill Clinton was just reading it because he thought it would help him get girls. <laughs> there, w- there was one <laughs> reference to it that said that that photo was taken after the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Oh, no. <laughs> and it was, I don't know if that meant that, if like, oh, now supposed he's to a be serious like, person yeah, or like what? character rehabilitation or what? Yes. That's how it came across in the article I saw. It was... That is very much okay. me in fifth grade walking around with the Lord of the Rings books with like the cover held out so everybody would know what like a big <laughs> thick book I was reading. I don't know what vibe I was giving off reading Stephen King books in seventh grade, like big ones, probably creepy like, ones. But I, mean, I can never imagine you like embodying any kind of like gothy aesthetic. So it, I was I was never embodying a gothy aesthetic. I was embodying a <laughs> jeans and uncombed hair, and here's my Stephen King book aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> so that's okay well andrew t- thank you what is your personal legend andrew and and are you seeking it to this day or have you abandoned it to become I, a baker like i said my personal legend is to go to the beach next week and to have a good have <laughs> yes. a nice time that is my personal legend as well yeah. I, I, for everyone who has a similar personal legend this summer i i hope that you obtain it <laughs> thanks for telling me about this book andrew thanks for listening um if you at home have a personal legend that you want to tell us about send us an email at overdue pod hit us up on social media at oh no send us an email overdue pod at gmail.com hit us up on social media at overdue pod thanks to amanda laura christina robert adriana Gigi, jaybird laurel erica ziggy rosalie chloe and many more for reaching out in the past week a lot of folks responding positively to again our 600th episode announcement overdue bit.ly slash overdue 600 if you want to join us on july 14th our theme song is composed by nick larandris andrew folks want to know more about the show where do they go overduepodcast.com is our website up there we have a list of the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read for the month if you want to read along with us we also have a patreon page at patreon.com slash overdue pod we're going to be doing the 600th episode as a public stream but if you subscribe to our patreon you can stream with us a bunch of times uh, as we record this, tomorrow we are going to be doing a live stream bonus episode about Jim Davis's immortal Garfield Fat Cat 3-pack number one. Yeah. <laughs> number one. I forget. No, I sometimes it's it's the some first of, the... of like 50 some. It's, there's so many of them. In some of the messages I've sent out about this book, I've just called it the Fat Cat 3-pack. No, and I keep forgetting no, that it's it number one. It has to one. be the Fat Cat 3-pack number one. Get it oh, right or pay the God. price. <laughs> <laughs> um 
And uh, here we're gonna be we're gonna be discussing uh, the the mystery of Lyman. Yeah. Uh, those of you who know who Lyman is, you know you, you know what's up. Um, you know. And yeah, we just we have a good time with those all the time. We like to do them occasionally for everybody, so that that you can see what it's like and yeah. maybe want to be part of the cool club that we have going. We also have a Discord server and some other stuff. Patreon.com slash overdue pod. Craig, what are you reading next week? I'm reading A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, and then the rest of the month after that, it's look obviously Percy Jackson. By that point, the Garfield should be on the main feed somewhere around Wait, there. Garfield, what, what Garfield? <sighs> Garfield. Jim Davis's Garfield Fat Cat 3-Pack number one. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after Percy Jackson will be our patron's choice for July, which that poll should wrap up in the next day as we record this. So it, right now, An Unkindness of Ghosts by River Solomon is in the lead over Saturnalia by Stephanie Feldman, but we'll see what happens. Uh, and then closing out the month with Sharp's Eagle by Bernard Cornwell. Uh, that's July. There will also be some more... Uh, Sand by me, Sandman episodes out there. Go yes. patreon.com so I've got all the more information that you need. Andrew, it is my personal legend to go to sleep yes. soon. Yeah. So All right, everybody. Out here. And, until we talk to you next week, please follow your hearts and try to be happy. <laughs>